Uh, happy Father's Day. Uh, for many of you, you've heard it. Uh, for some of you, you're hurting because of it. And uh, as we get into this today and look at it, uh, this message is uh, a standalone within a series. Uh, but it is a standalone because as I'm praying through, you know, God, what do you want to say? How do you want us to approach this? The idea of Bigfoot uh, is where we're at. Uh, can you say Bigfoot? All right. I am blessed that I um, grew up in a home where my earthly father had met the heavenly father and had modeled for me what it means to follow a bigger foot than his own. What it meant for him to say, as a first-generation Christian father, I'm going to raise my boys, my brother and I, to follow Jesus. I am so blessed that in all of that, he also modeled prayer And uh, as we are hearing today from Lane and Nate, prayer is powerful and prayer works and God moves often through prayer. Amen? Uh, It's interesting, our our light is on today as well, uh, which means we had somebody come to faith this week, at least one person, right? And I want to point that out because actually it was somebody from our prayer team in their neighborhood that led somebody to Jesus at the end of the street texted us and said, hey, uh, my neighbor just came to Christ. This didn't happen through a staff member. It didn't happen through a pastor. It happened through somebody who was following Jesus's bigger foot and watched God move in a powerful way. So we look at all of this today. Uh, there are some connecting points and some things that I think are, are going to speak into wherever this Father's Day journey has us. And uh, in 1 John 4, 7 through 10, I want to read to you a few verses that lay for us a little bit of the heartbeat of the Father. Uh, And and this is actually, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation uh, for this particular, these verses. It says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The heart of the heavenly father is so much greater than the love that you and I have here on earth. It's supernatural. It's beyond our comprehension. I'm a father of four. I have uh, four children, and there is no way I would sacrifice one of my children for anyone. Anybody relate? But yet we just read that there's a heavenly father that actually, because of his great love, has actually stepped into our world, put down his foot, and said, enough is enough. F.F. Bruce, a Bible scholar and commentator, says this, God is the archetypical father. All other fatherhood is more or less an imperfect copy of his perfect fatherhood. So whether you're hurting today because of an earthly father that let you down or is left too early, or maybe it's just a season of life, or naturally they passed on. Whether you have great hope because you had a really good and still have a really good earthly father, I want to point us all to the bigger picture. 
I want to point us all to the bigger picture of God's love and who he is. Because the reality is we all have different perspectives as fathers. And one of the fun things that happens sometimes in parenting, again, I have four kids. They range in age from 9 to 18. Okay, so we got quite the span. And uh, there's these moments in parenting often where I'm in charge of the kids, which I think scares my wife at times because I can be a big kid. Anybody? And, and so you, you'll get that message, hey, how are the kids? How are they doing? And, you know, uh, send a picture, you know, that kind of thing, right? Especially if there's some travel involved. Uh, I found a funny video. It's just 15 seconds. Uh, I thought this was great use of Photoshop and uh, having fun with the dad sending pictures to the wife of the kids. Check this out. Another one, another one, another one, another one. Another one, another one, another one. Wasn't that great? Oh, some of you just got a lot of ideas for today, right? And for the week to come. Uh, Yeah, we can have fun with that. And and it is often about perspective. And we do see things differently. And it was funny, looking back, uh, there actually, so obviously there's the the whole, is Bigfoot real? And searching and looking for Bigfoot. Uh, But when I was growing up, uh, I had a toy, and uh, this is a, a replica or the same toy. It's not the exact one. Uh, and look at this picture. Isn't that amazing, the difference? We wanted you to be able to see it. That's this blown up. Again, perspective really can change things. Now, some of you, I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. Anybody remember Bigfoot? You remember, yeah, the monster truck? I'm probably four or five years old at the time. Uh, this was a, I believe it was a birthday gift, and as I received that gift, I was so in love with this truck. Now, I got to be honest with you, I hadn't seen one of these in almost 40 years. I didn't realize how small it was, okay? Because when I was a kid, this thing felt huge, and it was motorized. You can see, you know, the little gear shifts, and it would move, and, and I was in love with this. Well, on our way down to Florida, On a trip, I left it in a hotel. And when I left it in that hotel, we tried to circle back. But again, this is non-cell phone era, right? It's a a different time and different season. And so long story short, that was my first moment as a kid where I can remember losing something that mattered deeply to me. That that was so significant because we never found it. My, my parents called the hotel, they asked if housekeeping had found it, all of these things, and it left like a little bit of a hole for that four or five-year-old because we never got it back, we never replaced it, and I was just kind of left with this, ugh. As we get into scripture today, we're going to see what God does with those places that in fact maybe we've lost something. Maybe we've lost sight of who he is and what he has for us. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 as we get started. Genesis is the Old Testament first book of the Bible. It's the book for beginnings. And we're going to pick up actually in verse 26. And as God is creating the heavens and the earth and everything in it, we pick up in verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. The vegan said amen. It was so. (laughs) Sorry, we got some meat eaters in here. Some of you just got offended. Uh, Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. What we see here in this, if you're taking notes, is is it moves into Genesis chapter 2. There's a garden paradise. And that garden paradise has clear identity, a clear purpose, and a clear calling to community. In fact, in Genesis 2, we see that it's not good for man to be alone. A woman is created, Adam and Eve are formed, and and we're told that they're going to live and dwell and have not just dominion, but multiply and and spread throughout the earth. There's this sense of, of wholeness in community and in family together. There's also, hopefully you picked up in Genesis 1, this reality of what it means to be created in the image of God. That, that you and I, created male and female, are actually created in the image of God. That, that that image gives us clear identity. Now, anybody else notice that we live in a world and in a time, and especially in a country, that seems to be going through an identity crisis? There's a lot of confusion around identity right now. There was no confusion, and is none, when we get back to the garden to who God is and what he created us to be. Each of us are created in the image of God. But don't miss that that part of that identity and part of being in community is you also have purpose. That actually it says that that we would have dominion. That, That means that we would actually have stewardship, if you think of it that way, over our world. That you and I were created with a purpose and for work and to make a difference in the world. And so you can imagine if you get away from this garden paradise, if you get away from your identity, you get away from your purpose, or you get separated from community, how much you lose. And yet this is how it all began. Now, in looking at that and what it means for us, you know, this would be how we understand our Christian worldview, what it means for us to follow in the footsteps that God has laid out for us is to have identity and purpose and community. Right now, statistically, there are a large percentage of children post-18 that leave the faith. Many of you have read about this and you know about this. On social media, uh, recently, kids' ministries have been posting over and over these five reasons, these five reasons why families we'll see ultimately children that might have a higher likelihood of staying connected to their faith. I don't know about you, but you caught, right, that I have four children, nine to 18. They've all got to figure out their faith on their own at some point. 
At some point, it has to become theirs, right? And, and in doing that, the prayer and the hope of any father, any mother, is that they figure it out and, and it does become theirs. So, so we've been looking at these five in our home. And, and some of you are gamers. We were, my generation, we grew up playing a lot of video games, right? And there was always those cheat codes. Anybody? Contra? Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. Okay. Some of you remember, all right? I could still put that cheat code in. Here's a five, five things they found that allow or seem to be predictive of a higher success rate of keeping their faith, of not losing it. Uh, the first is ate dinner five to seven nights a week as a family. That seems really simple, but it is not easy. We have to fight for that in today's modern society. So eating together regularly. Secondly is serving with their family in ministry. Just finding ways of serving and interacting in ministry together has, leads to a greater success rate. Third is having one spiritual experience in the home during the week. Maybe that's praying together. Maybe that's reading the Bible. You know, whatever it may be. Number four is being entrusted with the responsibility in ministry at an early age. You know, realizing that all of us have gifts and that even children can have gifts and begin to explore them. And, and, and yeah, they're young, but, but allowing them to begin to engage. And then the fifth, they had at least one faith-focused adult in their lives other than their parents. And I thought this was important because if we're going to talk about what was lost post-garden, post-paradise, which is what I'm going to look at next, some of you are out of the parenting season you're in the grandparenting or you're in the you know, season where you're, you're kind of like, I don't know how this applies to me. Can we put that back up? Look at number five. One faith-focused adult in their lives other than their parents. You see, when we live according to the identity God has given us and live on purpose in community together in a church, there are relationships being formed that are impacting every generation. And we're all needed to be those kind of people that would love and say, hey, here, here's who Bigfoot is in my life. Here's who God is in my life. And here's how I'm learning to follow in his footsteps. See how I did that with Bigfoot? Let's look at Genesis chapter 3 because the reality is, yes, there was a paradise. There was identity, purpose, and community. But in Genesis 3, it moves from garden to grave, if you're taking notes. It moves from a garden to a grave that there's actually sin and a separation as a result. There's a great loss, not just the loss of a, of a toy, but the loss of literally why God had fashioned and created us. And as this unfolds, it has a lot, I believe, to speak to us. Genesis 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I'm going to pause right there. This garden of Eden, this paradise, had within it the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. 
And as this is unfolding, God had told them you would die. What, what happened was not a physical death, but a spiritual death. A death to and separation, a loss from what God had created and designed them for in relationship with himself. That actually they would die a spiritual death. And as we think about that, it, it, it is the, the wake of that that has affected our entire world in our well-being. Verse 6, so the, and the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So here he is present. He's there and they both partake. It says, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Can you imagine those steps coming your way? God in the garden walking. Those big feet stepping towards you, coming towards you. The heart of God is to be present and in relationship with us. And in this moment, everything's going to change. It says, And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then the story continues to unfold. As it unfolds, there's abdication of responsibility. There's the blame game. There's trying to shift it to whose fault it actually was. No ownership for the decisions and the choices that had been made. As it unfolds, there's a moment where a holy God is dealing with the sin now present in the world. He never asks a question because he doesn't know the answer. He asks a question that leads us to the answers. And in those answers, they would find that they now had experienced the fall, as we know it today, of, of man, the, the total depravity, that we're all sinners, that we're born with a sin nature. That actually that sin nature separates us from God, separates us from one another. And unfortunately, there's two curses given in the rest of Genesis 3. One of those curses is in the toil of child labor. The other is in the toil of our work. That it's going to be more difficult and more challenging to, to actually fulfill our purpose and to work in our world. As those two things unfold, there's then actually this reality that, that they're kicked out of the garden. God takes the big foot and he kicks them out of the garden. Are you tracking with me? You still here? As they're leaving the garden though, he, in verse 21, it says that he clothes them. And I think this is incredibly important and many scholars would support this that that in fact in that moment their cheap makeshift clothing that they had put together God upgraded them clothed them because it was a foreshadowing of God's grace and his covering that in fact this God who had now said you're separated from me was going to eventually cover us and cover them with his grace with his love with his forgiveness with his mercy. 
But this garden had just turned in to a grave. They had experienced a spiritual death and a separation. It's in that space that we feel probably a bit of tension. And in in that, there's moments where God begins to shake and wake us up. Where he begins to say, no, this, this is actually who I want you to be. This is what I'm calling you to. This is what I want you to take responsibility for. And as we look at this, we're going to see that, that there's something that God calls out of us through his son Jesus. That he puts into us something that then is meant to make a difference in our world. And I want to get us to a place where we begin to get excited and encouraged by who God is and what he has for us. There's an author, and many of you listening to him on the radio, Brant Hansen, who has a quote. He says this. He says, there are real humans outside your window who will suffer because you aren't who you need to be. There are real people, real humans outside of your and I's window, that if we're not who we're, we need to be, they are going to suffer. And as we look at this next bit, we're going to see that when Jesus steps in to that garden, that that grave turns back into a garden. That he models for us purpose. He models for us what it looks like to actually be who we're created to be. He fills the void and restores and does what only he can do. But before we look at that, I want to come back to my Bigfoot truck for a minute. This truck actually showed up in a package this year on my birthday. My dad, almost 40 years later, searched the internet and found Bigfoot. And when he found Bigfoot, he had put a little note inside of it. And with his permission, I want to just read this. He says, birthday boy, I went online in search of a Bigfoot truck for you to replace the one left at the hotel. When we called back to try and claim it, they said housekeeping had not turned one in. We both were hurt over the loss. I'm replacing it to help heal the little holes it's made in each of our hearts. You're not crying. (laughs) I was crying. There's something that God does through his son Jesus in a man or woman's life that says, because of what he's done for me, I'm now going to do that for others. I'm now going to pursue healing and restoration. I'm going to be who I'm supposed to be. And that's the encouragement we get next. Turn with me to John 18. Because in John 18, we see Jesus in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. In every gospel, it's mentioned. And in in these 11 verses that we're going to look at, there's four things that really stand out. I'm calling them next steps. Because when Jesus models these for us, they're not just things that he did, but I believe that they're things that if we do them, we can be the kind of people that show up in situations with God's help 
and help orchestrate healing and restoration and wholeness and life as it was meant to be. There's some big feet to follow, but Jesus wants nothing more than to help us follow his steps. In John 18, we pick up in uh, verse 1. And as I mentioned, Jesus is in the garden. It's in this garden that he would experience stress and anxiety and pressure that, that literally in the book of Luke it says caused him to bleed. Capillaries were bursting. His identity, his purpose, who he was in community was so clear. And that's clarity that I think would help us as we follow Jesus. Verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing that all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? If you're taking notes here, this, it's in this grave to garden situation that Jesus' death is going to bring life and that big foot to follow. And the first of the four steps that I see here is what we just saw in verses 1 through 4, that he's leaning in to God the Father. And I want you to think about this, that, that if you have a situation where maybe it feels like it's a grave, maybe it feels like something has died, something has been lost, something is actually missing, that actually our God wants to show up in those spaces. And in John 18, we see Jesus in the garden, number one, if you can put that up, leaning in to the Father. It says that he often went there. He often met with the disciples. He often prayed. And in the other versions in the gospel of this moment, he was praying and calling on God. Now you might say, well, he's the son of God. Why would he do that? Because he was fully God and fully man. And he was praying because he needed to lean in to the Father. Here's what I want to submit to you that I learned from my earthly father, who was, a, as I mentioned earlier, a first-generation Christian father. I know that I know that he prays, and he has modeled that, and he has lived that my entire life. He has taught me how to lean in to God the Father. And I just wonder how many of you, like, you're saying, okay, I want to be responsible. I want to be who God created me to be. But you're actually missing the first step, which is leaning in to God the Father and your relationship with him. Jesus was doing this in the garden. He was praying all night. In fact, what happened? The other disciples fell asleep and Jesus came and woke them up and said, hey, can't you even just stay awake for a few hours? We need to lean in to God the Father. Can I get an amen? amen. Second thing in following Jesus' big foot is in verses 5 and 6. 
says, they answered him. This is the soldiers, the people present with weapons. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And they drew back and fell to the ground. The second aspect of following Jesus' footsteps are knowing, knowing our God-given identity. You see, Jesus was clear. He knew who he was. And when he stood in that identity, as he represented who God had created them to be, I mean, he's the Messiah. And what happens actually in the Greek, the original language around this verse, there was actually a power that caused all of them present to fall on the ground on their knees, which would have been an act of worship, whether their hearts wanted to worship him or not. His identity came with power, and they fell to the ground. Our God has clear identity for each of us. And when we begin to walk in that, when we begin to follow him and be who he created us to be, it does change not just our life, but it enriches the lives of those around us. So verse 5 and 6, he knew his identity. Do you know yours? And the way you're going to find it by, is by getting to know his. The third aspect is to own your role and responsibilities. Look at what happens next, verse 7 through 9. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost no one. What happens in that moment is Jesus is asserting exactly who he is and he's owning his role, but also the responsibility that would lead him to the cross, that would lead him to lay down his life while preserving the lives of those around him. I just wonder how many of us aren't maybe owning the role that God has asked us to own in life. Whether it's in the home or in your workplace or your neighborhood. Is there something that Jesus is saying, hey, this is the identity I have for you. This is the role and the responsibility. And I want you to follow me. I want you to actually fulfill and to take responsibility. But we live in a world that often advocates responsibility, is very passive, and likes to wait on others. Anybody? There's an incredible, incredible video that went viral in 2018. It actually happened in France. And many of you may have saw this or remembered. I want to show you just this quick clip of a bystander, a neighbor, taking responsibility for a four-year-old child that's in danger. Let's go ahead and play the clip. Can you imagine? I mean, some of you may remember that when it happened. It, this, 
man takes responsibility. The world is safer because he's there. He's showing up. He's present. As he climbs and risks his own life to rescue that child, what was found out later is the child's father was indoors playing video games. It's a little different when we hear that part, doesn't it? It hits a little different when we realize that there's a world in front of us that's offering us the ability to own our role, to take responsibility like Jesus did. And in that moment as he did it, the last aspect is he followed God's will over his own. Notice what happens in verse 10 and 11. It says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, I'll just mention this. Um, Simon was not very good with a sword. <laughs> um, this is actually kind of a funny moment that's happening. It's not a broad sword like you might be thinking of. It, it would have been probably a small Roman dagger. And actually, in pulling that out from underneath his clothing, he would have been striking to kill, most likely. That's why he went after the head. And in doing that, he missed. You can picture the man dodging, and he cut off his ear. Now, Scripture tells us in another gospel that Jesus healed the man immediately. Jesus is a healer. Jesus also knew that picking up that sword, fighting in your own strength and in your own way, was not what his will was. Look at verse 11. He, so Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? That cup was the cup of suffering that he would in fact take upon himself. It also symbolizes God's will, that we are to take upon us God's will. So if you want to follow in God's footsteps and follow in Jesus' footsteps, four things, again, very quickly, lean into God the Father. Secondly, know your God-given identity. Third, own your role and responsibilities within that. He's called us all to have purpose and dominion and stewardship. And then fourth, follow God's will over your own. As we think about all of this, there's a heavenly father that steps into our world and offers us forgiveness and redemption and wholeness. Wherever you're at in that journey, many of us know we need the father. Ernest Hemingway, in one of his short stories called uh, the capital of the world, set this in the capital of Spain. And in this story, it's interesting what happens. He, he shares the story of, of this young boy, Paco, who takes the father's inheritance. It sounds very similar to scripture in the prodigal son. And he, he goes off and he leaves and he goes to the capital city. The dad who's heartbroken and wants nothing more than to see the relationship restored goes to the capital, takes out an ad in the, in the newspaper, and the newspaper ad essentially says this. It says that, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. Hemingway then writes, The next day at noon, in front of the newspaper office, there were 800 Pacos all seeking forgiveness. It's a great illustration of a biblical truth 
that at some level we all need what Jesus offers and the Heavenly Father has given us, which is the ability to come to him to receive forgiveness, to have him wash over us and to give us clarity, to give us direction for our life. I want to read to you one more time, 1 John 4. And I want to just pray over us and give us the opportunity to respond because your life may be in a place where you're going, okay, I need that restoration. I need that wholeness. I've been lost and I thought my foot was the big foot. I've missed God's footprint. I've missed who Jesus is. I've missed his desire to offer me forgiveness or purpose. See, after that garden, Jesus would go to the cross. As he went to the cross, he laid down his life. Three days later, he rose again. And it's his resurrection that offers us the power to overcome anything in our world, anything that we're facing. 1 John 4, where I began this message, says this again. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That is the biggest footprint you'll ever find, the biggest invitation to follow in the footprints of Jesus. He wants to take any grave and turn it into a garden. I'm gonna just pray over us and then we're gonna have a time to respond. Worship team is gonna lead us into the song, Graves to Gardens. And I want you to use this time to do business with the Lord. If you want somebody to pray with you, the kneeling benches, the altars will be open. But I believe God is calling us to himself and to follow in his footsteps in this season in bigger and greater ways, whether we're male or female. Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you for today. We thank you for the invitation to follow you. Thank you, Jesus, that you stepped into that garden and did what we could not do. That your sacrifice, your holiness, paid the price for our sins. Father, I just ask now that whatever we may be holding on to, whatever we came in, whatever hole may be there, that you would put down your big foot, your presence would be so real and available that we would realize you're inviting us into relationship, to forgiveness, to wholeness with you. Father, I pray for anything that feels dead and lost like that grave to, to turn into a garden as we follow you. Holy Spirit, be poured out. Do what only you can do during this time as we worship you, as we praise you, as we come to you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and praise him. Let's worship him. If you wanna come forward for prayer, you can do that. I 
is nothing better than him and uh, I believe absolutely to my core that some of you in here today more than anything just needed to know how much he loves you that he has a purpose for you that actually our world needs you to follow Jesus and as you follow in his footsteps we need you to be who he created you to be we need you to show up and be who God created you to be your families do, your neighborhoods do, our church does, our community does. So be encouraged. Father, we love you and thank you that you are better than anything that this world has to offer. We thank you that you stepped into that garden, took the cross, and now invite us to follow you. Father, I pray for blessing as we follow you. I pray that we would love you and love all people in our pathway. As we follow your footsteps, May we see our purpose. May we live it out in community. May we know our identity. And may we be a people that leaves this world better than we found it because of your great spirit and love and power. Thank you for our fathers. Thank you for our mothers. Thank you for life and life abundantly in you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. amen.